Hey everyone, I'm Thanos Davelis, and welcome back to The Greek Current, a podcast by the Hellenic American Leadership Council and Kathy Merini, where we highlight the top stories of the day every afternoon with analysis from guest experts, policymakers, journalists, and health staff. The U.S. government's non-paper on the East Med gas pipeline is back in the headlines after representatives Bilirakis and Maliotakis sent a letter to the State Department in which they pushed back against the Biden administration's shift in policy on the East Med gas pipeline. The two members of Congress said that in canceling the project, the State Department has unilaterally taken energy options off the table and requested an in-person briefing on the issue. Julie Fishman-Raymond, the American Jewish Committee's Director of Political Outreach, joins the Greek Current with a latest take on the reactions from Congress to the State Department's non-paper on the East Med Pipeline Project and the AJC's broader view on developments in the Eastern Mediterranean. Julie, it's great to have you back on the Greek Current. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Julie, it's been a couple of weeks since this non-paper from the State Department on the East Med Pipeline, and AJC has been at the forefront, not only when it comes to working on the East Med Pipeline, but also when it comes to building new relationships in the Eastern Mediterranean. So a simple question to kick off our conversation, were you given a heads up about this before it was issued? Well, first of all, thank you so much for the compliment about us being at the forefront. I would say we're standing at the forefront hand in hand and arm in arm with you all at HALC. And it's always a pleasure to be able to work with you all on these issues and to tackle these problems as well. We were not given heads up about the non-paper. And I think more importantly, Congress wasn't given a heads up about the non-paper. The process was not the process that one would hope for or expect as it relates to either vested groups, you know, interested partners, but certainly not as one would expect from a congressional vantage point either. It's an administration that's really leaned into dealing with Congress in a positive and proactive way. And this feels like a strange omission. What kind of process would one expect from the administration on this then? One would hope that the administration would realize that Congress has really been the driving force behind building the three plus one partnership and through the Congressional Hellenic Israel Alliance and through really groundbreaking, important legislation like the East Med Act and the U.S. Greece Act that followed, that Congress is a player in this space, not an afterthought not someone that you consult afterwards and say, oh, here, here's the paper, but really the type of partner that should be brought in beforehand. Because I think the reaction would have been very different had they said, we need to change the policy. And it's not because we're not committed to the three plus one, but it's because of climate. Congress would have reacted very differently. But I think instead, people felt sort of confused at best and blindsided at worst. Can you talk about some of the reactions that we're seeing from Congress? Sure. I mean, I think I think confused and blindsided probably says it best. There've certainly been emotional reactions, and I think that speaks to the tremendous support that has been built in Congress for the US Greece Cyprus Israel relationship. And a lot of that sort of started with energy but certainly has broadened since then. But we who are intimately involved in the three plus one on a regular basis, in a way, we can sort of forget that this all started with energy. But when the underpinnings, right, when the thing that sort of started it all is taken out, the rug is sort of swept out from under us, then it almost feels like a deeper 
deeper attack than I'm sure it was intended to be. But when we think of it as energy as sort of the a cornerstone of this partnership, and then suddenly the energy piece is questioned in a way that feels sudden or not informed, then it throws everything off balance. I think if it had actually been explained to, to partners and to members of Congress and said, you know, the pipeline simply isn't viable as we perceived it to be, it's not viable moving forward. We need to take a different approach. I think people would have been much more understanding, but instead to sort of issue this non-paper and catch people by surprise, it made the entire three plus one partnership feel off kilter. We had seen some letters from Congress, specifically from Congressman Bill Arrakis and others that are in the Congressional Hellenic Israel Alliance, where they reached out to the State Department for a clarification on this non-paper, and it looks like they got a response, and Congressman Bill Arrakis and Congresswoman Nicole Malatakis have issued a response back to the State Department. Can you talk about the contents of the letter that they sent to the State Department? Yes, and I really want to draw people's attention to the letter. I know that Halk circulated it via Twitter. So if people are interested, it's really a sharp rebuttal based on facts. And what State Department had said basically is that the United States wasn't reversing its position. The State Department, the United States had not formally or financially supported the pipeline thus far. And what Bill Arrakis and Malyothakis did was they went through sort of line by line statements made during the U.S.-Greece strategic dialogue findings pulled from the Eastern Med Act and said, no, this was policy. It was asserted here. It was asserted here on this day, in this venue, at this forum, and really sort of held State Department's feet to the fire and said, you can't say that it wasn't policy when it was very clearly policy. And the piece that I think illuminates it the best is when they pulled from one of the sections in the East Med Act. And it said, it is the policy of the United States to strongly support the completion of the, I'm abbreviating, pipelines and establishment of liquefied natural gas terminals across the Eastern Mediterranean as a means of diversifying regional energy needs away from the Russian Federation, period. So it was really clear from their rebuttal, not only that this was the policy, but that Congress had been involved. And they didn't have to say it so pointedly, but they really made the point that Congress has been the player here, and you need to bring Congress into the conversation. Julie, from the beginning, obviously, there were questions about the pipeline's viability, but still there was a commitment to this project from both the governments involved in this process and from advocacy groups like CALC and like the American Jewish Committee. Can you speak about the commitment from the AJC's perspective? Absolutely. As you said, the pipeline was always somewhat ambitious, right? And there were always questions, is this viable? Will this work? And part of that was because at the point that we started talking about it, we didn't really understand the extent of what we were looking at in terms of natural gas in the region. What the pipeline represented was actually something much bigger and much more important. It represented the abilities of countries that had not yet cooperated to this degree to not only start cooperation, but essentially tie their economic futures to each other, to commit to saying, if we're going to succeed in doing this, we're going to succeed together, and we're willing to invest equally as governments in the cooperation and the coordination that it needs to make this happen. And what we've seen as a result, 
pipeline aside, is that those types of commitments have really led to this fundamentally changed Eastern Mediterranean region. Julie, there are some now who speculate that the only way for East Med Energy Cooperation to take the next step is to include Turkey and specifically a pipeline from Israel to Turkey. And we're largely seeing this kind of rhetoric come out of Turkey. What's your take on this? So one of the things that I always think is so funny about this is that people talk about Turkey as though they're not involved. But the reality is that right now, Turkey is the biggest consumer of the gas coming out of the Eastern Mediterranean. They're getting it through Egypt. So they're already involved in terms of the conversation that we're having. But in terms of of more direct engagement and including them in the process, I think it's a really complicated proposition because we know in the United States, if there's one thing people want about their energy, it's reliability and they want stability, right? They want to trust that they're not going to have to line up at gas tanks for hours, that they're going to be able to get in their car and drive to the fueling station and get what they need, that they're going to be able to heat their homes with what they need. They want that sort of sense of security. And so as we're looking at which countries are viable partners, I think energy almost takes the backseat to the question of, is this a reliable partner? Julie, now that we've had this non-paper from the State Department, we've seen this back and forth with Congress. There are new projects that are being looked at in the Eastern Mediterranean, such as interconnectors. You know, what would AJC like to see next when it comes to East Med energy developments and diplomacy? So I won't weigh in too much on the feasibility or the viability of various interconnectors and whatnot, but I will say that as AJC is looking at the future of energy in the region, it's with a mind towards leveraging and maximizing the stability that's already been achieved. The fact that what it really started with Israel, Greece, and Cyprus is now expanded greatly to include the entire Eastern Mediterranean region and countries like Egypt and Jordan and Lebanon and Italy. That's amazing. And the diplomatic sort of maneuverability that has come from this increased conversation has been a boon to Israel. So as we're looking at next steps in energy, it's always with an eye towards what does this mean for stability and security in the broader region, first and foremost. And beyond that, I would say The question of renewables and other sources of energy is a really exciting one. Not because the energy is at the crux of what AJC is working on, but because it allows Israel to deepen relationships with others. You know, that through cooperation with Greece and Cyprus, Israel's energy grid is now effectively tied to Europe's energy grid is huge, right? It's huge from an energy perspective, but even more importantly, it's phenomenally important in what it means for normalization with Israel, for what it means for Israel's place with European partners and within the broader European context. So those are really sort of the benchmarks for the things that we're looking to achieve. And then legislatively, of course, we still want to see implemented some of the facets of the East Med Act that have not yet been implemented, like the creation of a U.S. Eastern Mediterranean Energy Center which has real capacity to not just inform energy, but bring the United States in in a real significant way, in a way that we haven't yet seen in the region. To wrap up, is there anything that you would like to see from the United States in terms of its involvement in the 3 plus 1 moving forward? I think the United States has an opportunity now, post non-paper, 
to really reaffirm this commitment. And I think it's opened the door for Secretary Blinken to play a much more powerful and frontal role in the conversations. He should be a part of the dialogues now moving forward. Personally, we can elevate what's already happening to maximize the return. And hopefully now State Department is seeing not just sort of the groundswell of reaction about the non-paper, but that there really is opportunity that's backed by energy officials, government officials, leaders of civic organizations in the region and in the United States, and people who really want to see the three plus one bolstered for the good of every nation involved in the broader region. Julie, thanks for joining us again on The Greek Current. It's my great pleasure, Thano. Thank you so much for having me. It's always great to be here with help. In other news, rescue specialists boarded a burning ferry in Greece to free two truck drivers who had been stranded inside the vessel for more than 15 hours on Friday. But as of this recording, hope was fading for 11 others who were reported missing. The Coast Guard said 278 passengers and crew had been rescued earlier in the day from a fire that engulfed the Italy-bound ferry with 291 people on board near the Greek island of Corfu. The rescued passengers, many wrapped in foil blankets, were all transported to Corfu, where 10 people were hospitalized. The cause of the blaze was still being investigated, Greek authorities said. Friday's pre-dawn fire broke out in the Ionian Sea three hours after the ferry left Greece for Italy. Finally, Greek Foreign Minister Nikosendias stressed the need for an immediate de-escalation of tensions in Ukraine during talks with his Russian counterpart Sergei Lavrov in Moscow on Friday. A conflict in Ukraine would have no winner. We would all lose out, Dendias said during a joint press conference. Dendias also raised the issue of Turkish aggression in the Aegean, including Turkey's threat of war against Greece if the country proceeds with its legal right to extend its territorial waters. Greece favors a constructive dialogue with Turkey. It is, however, prepared to defend its national sovereignty from any threat, Dendias said. Lavrov said that Russia was prepared to assist Greece and Turkey in resolving their differences. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in. 